I need you to bring everything you have as a as a black woman who grew up around your grandmother and your aunties and they played a significant role in your life. I need you to bring all of that to this role. You're only going to find that if you find somebody who lived that. So that's your responsibility as the creative as the at the agency to find those people and and stop hiding behind oh I can't find anybody like mm. that. I think the one thing 2020 has taught us is that we out here. Everybody's out here. Everybody you're looking for is out here. You're listening to VO Stories, episode 110, part one. Hi, I'm Tina Zaremba, voice of our talent, mentor, and good old-fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell. We can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. At the top of this episode speaking, that was the lovely Heather Keats Wright. She is the founder behind Wright Creative Agency. That's a content marketing and video production firm based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And she's one of the panelists on today's special episode, Racism and Voiceovers and Beyond. How to be a part of the solution. All right, before we get into this episode, there's something I've got to acknowledge here. This has been a truly crazy time for all of us. We've all had to let go of expectations of what we should be doing, what we think we should be doing, and just deal with what's happening in the present moment. Or at least that's how it's been for me. So for me, that's meant a delay here. Now, I could go into a ton of reasons why, but I want to get to this conversation. It needs to be shared. It's time for it to be shared. It's taken me a while to process this episode. Actually, episodes, because it's a two-parter. My dear friend, Sherry Pullum, is the moderator. And I really believe, I know you're going to get a lot out of it if you just stay with it. So I invite you to listen to this episode with curiosity and openness. This is an amazing group of Black women in the entertainment industry. From our moderator to several producers, writers, and talent. You can find brief bios and links to the panelists in the show notes. But for now, please sit back and listen in. Tina, thank you so much for having me this evening. And thank you for allowing us to come and address this important conversation of racism. And thank you for being courageous to having this conversation and opening the door. I am honored to be here with such an esteemed panel of brilliant lights, you ladies. Thank you so much for joining me here as well. Joan, I'm going to start with you. We're going to dive into the voiceover conversation first. Listeners, have asked some questions. So Tina took the time to kind of pull some of her listeners so that they would be engaged and involved. And so the first question... I'm ready. Yes. I'm ready. So the first (laughs) question (laughs) is about voiceover acting. So acting is acting. 
Why is it wrong for me to audition for a voiceover spot with African-American in the direction spec? I've auditioned for voiceover spots that call for an Irish accent and Mm -hmm. a South African. If I can do an African-American voice, why shouldn't I audition for that? Okay, a couple things. One is acting is acting is like saying one person is the same as another based on the fact that they're both people. Right. So the critical thing about acting, especially in an age of more human awareness about authenticity, culture and spirituality, is that acting has evolved to include those elements because audiences will reject inauthenticity as bad acting. Also, accents are not racial. Accents are the result of speaking a different tongue through the filter of your native tongue. So, for example, three people were... Um, Their native tongues were like French, Zulu, and American English. They would all speak Japanese with an accent. Just like regionalisms are based on where you grew up in the country. Whether you grew up in the South, uh, the North, New York, California, Minnesota. So no matter what race you are, you still are likely to adapt regionalisms. So regionalisms and, and accents are not racial in and of themselves. But if a script calls for a lion, you don't show up as a poodle. Yes. Yes. I'm going to give right. some snaps to that. And, you know, there is a kind of a, a complaint that I've heard. And that is, you know, I'm an actor. I can act anything. But no, you actually can't. Not everything you bring to the table lends itself to a role. And when you're culturally resonating with a part Believe me, and you get it, you will have to act. So that's still going to be in the mix. Yes, and be authentic. That's right. In that voice and be authentic. So Tanya, this question is for you and it's coming off the heels of of the first question. And this question again is from one of Tina's listeners. And as a producer, the question is, It feels like there is a gray area in voiceover direction where the spec doesn't come out and say Black or African-American, but the spec will say Angela Bassett to Viola Davis type. Do I pass on those auditions? Mm, Yeah, no, this definitely sort of couples with what um, Joan just shared. I mean, here's the deal. I'm never going to tell somebody what they should do. And that's as a producer, I would never tell somebody you shouldn't audition for something. And as a coach, I would never tell a client you shouldn't do something. But here's what I would say. You have to be smart and you have to be generous. So being smart is, I mean, come on, is Meryl Streep going to audition for something that has Angela Bassett and Viola Davis's voice? No. I mean, listen, if we all sounded like that in moments in our lives, it's great. They have beautiful, sultry, soulful voices. But in addition to what Joan was saying, like, they're not just embodying that voice. They're connecting with a spirit of, they're connecting with intonation. They're connecting with a history. They're connecting with their blackness. They're connecting with the woman, the female in them that is black, with their mothers, with their, you know, nanas, with their aunties. So that comes with connection. And as a performer, as a producer, I want that performer to come up, come through an audition as authentically as they can. It's important to connect. And, you know, I think Joan just said it, like you're going to show up and, and, and deliver in a way that doesn't connect with you. That doesn't make sense. So 
just be smart. And then I would say, be generous. I think so much has been exposed lately in this past year about opportunities and inequality. So be generous, step aside and allow the the artists, whether it's a female or a male, step up and have that opportunity because most likely they're not, as much as we keep talking about change and transformation, it's going to take some time. If you step aside, be generous and pass on that audition, it allows somebody else to come through. But guess what? I guarantee you something is coming for you because you just took that step and you allowed somebody else to have that opportunity. Somebody who really, really has more of a chance of connecting and embodying that is that what is, you know, Angela um, Bassett and Viola Davis. I almost said Angela Davis. (laughs) (laughs) Great combo. Great combo. You know, actually... I wanted to add something. This is Joan. I wanted to add something. And that is usually specs go to an agent or a manager and they are, are calling the talent in the breakdown. So they're only going to deal with people who have the essence of mm. these prototypes. Right. It's not literal. Otherwise they'd hire them, right? They would hire them. So it's just the essence or the feel or the general atmosphere. And again, an agent is going to contact you if they feel that you're that type. So unless you're looking up uh, auditions somewhere else and you're doing the choosing, like on a pay-to-play site, um, you want to do what resonates with you. Why? Because most likely you will be able to book those jobs. If, you don't, if you're not resonating with uh, Angela Bassett, why would you audition? Right. It's just kind of a waste of time. Yeah. Well, a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, and to your point, Joan, Tina, I'm going to have you chime in here because just that, a casting director asked you to audition for a part that clearly was for an African-American and just tell that experience that you had and how you can hide behind the microphone as an actor. Yeah, no, I've still had, I've had several experiences. The most blatant was several years ago where the character, the the description was, you know, sounds like Viola Davis, has some street cred. I mean, it was just like, wait a minute. And I (laughs) reached out and said, I don't think that I'm the right talent for this. And the response was, your last name is Zaremba. They'll never know. And I was like, oh my God. Really? You just Google me and you're going to see. Obviously, I'm not black. Then recently, and I think I spoke to Zoe about this in March, there was an audition that once again, and this was from an agent. So I still, I feel though that things are changing more. You know, I was just sharing with Sherry before we went live that Vox just ran an article last week, the voiceover industry, the last holdout to hide behind. What was the title, Sherry? Blackface. how voice actors are fighting to change an industry that renders them invisible. So how it's, you know, talent who are known and have a name that are coming forward and saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to do this. Thanks to the second wave of Black Lives Matter and um, George, right? And I believe that we were all on our knees because of this pandemic. So that when that happened, I think people really became they really saw what happened, what it was, and that this was absolutely uncalled for. 
And I think because we were all in a vulnerable place, people that normally wouldn't have protested or commented or done things to shift the way things are being looked at now, it all happened because of that. And because we were all, you know, in lockdown. So we were really able to resonate. And I think the industry has really and is rising to that occasion. I mean, I even look at Joe Biden. Look what he's doing as president-elect in getting his cabinet together. I mean, this is a completely different world now. Well, let's because of George Floyd. Yes. And and I think many people were awakened to their responsibility after George Floyd, but many still are not, right? Mm -hmm. And so Heather, as an owner of a creative agency, advertising agency, let's have you jump into the conversation and talk a little bit about that and how we can ensure from an agency standpoint, that you can ensure that who you're hiring is a person of color. Mm-hmm. Sure. Thank you for that. I think I think owners and people of uh, power in, in decision-making positions absolutely have the responsibility of hiring the right people. I don't think it is something you can hide behind. You should not have been hiding behind it before have to have diversity at every level of your organization, period. And in instances where you are specifically looking for someone, first of all, call it what it is. I think we hide behind these weird euphemisms and and, um, nicknames and weird things. For what reason, I, I don't know. If you want a Black person to be a part of your project, say you want a Black person, I don't know what street cred is, but I would argue as someone born and raised in the suburbs, I probably don't have any and I'm black. So I don't know what that means, right? If that's what you're looking for, then say that's what you're looking for and go out and find that person as an agency owner, as someone who served as a producer, who's done a little bit of casting. If you're looking for somebody black, go out and look for somebody black and find somebody black or Latinx or Asian or whatever it is. And we have to stop hiding behind and being afraid of doing that and saying that that's what we're doing, if that's what your storytelling calls for. We are all throwing around this word authenticity, using it like water, but we don't really know what it means. If you want somebody who has the sensibilities that Tanya just described, I need you to bring everything you have as a as a Black woman who grew up around your grandmother and your aunties and they played a significant role in your life. I need you to bring all of that to this role. You're only going to find that if you find somebody who lived that. So that's your responsibility as the creative, as the at the agency to find those people and and stop hiding behind. Oh, I can't find anybody like Mm. that. I think the one thing 2020 has taught us is that we out here. Everybody's out here. Everybody you're looking for is out here. Do your job. Stop being lazy. It takes time. The the challenge is you may not have those people in your network, and if you don't have those people in your network. It's okay. It is. It, it doesn't mean anything other than you don't have those people in your network. So broaden your network, just like you did when you were starting your career or you were starting your agency or you first stepped into that role. Broaden your network. Go up and have an adult conversation with somebody to say, does anybody have an African-American friend in the, in the voiceover business? I really would like to learn more. I think I'm looking for someone. I'm looking for that kind of talent. Does anyone have a Latinx friend? So I'm, I'm trying to find these people. Honesty, transparency. It really isn't that hard. Yes, yes. 
I totally 100% agree, agree. And I was going to ask you, what do you say to people when they say, I can't find qualified people or I can't find a talented producer? What offering can you give them? Like you say, expand your network. Mm-hmm. And how would you suggest yeah. something concrete? How could they expand their network? For sure. I mean, honestly, we all know one of the best tools there is, is is LinkedIn, right? And there are others. There's Behance for Designers. Whatever the tool is in your industry, start using it. I have to say, one thing that I started doing in recent years, even before 2020, was putting my photo on my resume when I was looking for work. There are people out there who are going to be looking for a Black person. And if you look at my name, you do not know I'm a Black person, right? But if you look at my picture, you might have a clue. So I think look for those people, look at the tools in your industry, look at the tools that you use to do your job and start searching for those people. And again, I think it goes back to conversation. You have a network. You may not have a diverse network, but start having those very real conversations. Are you going to run into somebody who's going to say, are you trying to tell me you're specifically hiring a Black person? Isn't that reverse discrimination? I think the answer to that is there's no such thing as reverse discrimination. Mm -hmm. And what you can say is, yes, I'm looking for a person of color to fill this role because I'm trying to give that opportunity or I'm trying to bring that authenticity to this part or to this role or to this project. So I would like somebody who is as close to the the character as the character is written as I can possibly get. Isn't that always the job of the creator, Mm -hmm. of the the producer, of the the showrunners? Isn't that always your job? That's right. I don't know why it would no longer be your job just because you're talking about a person of color, right? Or a person of a diverse background or a person from an underrepresented group. Honestly, again, the answer to, to the question is, have to start having these conversations. We have to start talking to each other. And if you run into somebody who's going to give you some resistance, then you have to talk to the next person. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I I want to add something, and that is that if we were hiring or hiring more people of color in positions, then you wouldn't have gotten that call, Tina, from an agent. You wouldn't have gotten that call. And that's the issue. It's like maybe now talent is being more looked at in a diverse way, but it's really people behind the scenes that need to be hired. That's person of color because you wouldn't have gotten that call. Right, right. And Joan, I also want to follow up on something else you said about the Black Lives Matter movement, mm-hmm. right? So this is for Zoe and Kadeen. Following up on what Joan was talking about, the Black Lives Matter movement, and that really calling for some corporations and some agencies to become aware that they need to cast people of color and become more color conscious. Even performers, Tina just read about the article in Central Park where the actor, the actress said, you know, this is not a part for me. I am declining. I am not the right voice for this. There are actors who are stepping up and saying the role isn't for me, Zoe and Kadeen, do you feel this is enough? Hi, this is Kadeen. It's a start. It's a start. And and it's it's a good start to recognize that. I think that's one of the best lessons that we can have is to recognize when something is not for you. We've all been in different situations where it's just like, you know what, this might not serve me. And I think that that takes just having a little bit of perspective And knowing, like my mom always tells me, she's like, what's for you is for you. And I take that and kind of apply that as a filter. So it helps to have allies, right, that can say, hey, this isn't for me. I leave it in the space for people who can fill this role, who are more, can more authentically fill this role. I actually had to check myself recently. I had a shoot recently that I was show running, right? And I look around and we had a lot of women. We We had diversity, right? We had Black people, white people, Spanish, Asian, men, women. 
But even for myself, I was like, you know what? There should be more women. There should be more African-American people. There should be more, you know, there should be, this should be a much more colorful set. And it was my set. And I'm sitting there looking at like, then this is my reflection, right? And I'm like, what does this say about me? And it's like, okay, well, these are the people that I've come up with, right? These are my colleagues that I've hired and that I trust, right? Because that's the big thing as a freelancer. And I think that a lot of us can speak to who do we hire? The people we trust. And a lot of the people that I've come to know in the business in different ways are white men, the the camera dudes, the lighting, you know, but we also had women uh, camera operators. That was awesome. I was so happy to see some of my friends camera operating, but I also was checking myself like, man, I'm a black woman. I need to see more faces like mine. And it was awesome. Like my producer team, my supervising producer was a black woman. One of my producers was a black woman. My executive producer is a black woman. So that's incredible. Our host is a black woman. It's an amazing experience, but still, I want to see more color here. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And it's like, I have to expand my network. I have to start asking, who are the people that you trust that are women of color or women or, you know, just like, who do you trust? And if you don't have that, then we've got to find that. You know, like I'm putting it upon myself to find, I need to fill these blanks for myself. Like I can't be doing great at the top by myself. That's right. That's not it. Yeah, that's right. And Zoe, to add to that piece, as a filmmaker and an entrepreneur, what do you feel your responsibility is or Black filmmakers or Black entrepreneurs and creatives? As Kadeen said, she's looking and searching and having to look inside and say, hey, am I doing enough? What do you feel the responsibility is, Zoe? Well, before I talk about my responsibility, I want to go back and talk about the people that are taking jobs from people of color. Okay, yes. Because we are always, for the most part, as people of color, we're always looking and reaching out, I feel like, and doing those things and holding ourselves to account that, frankly, white people are not doing. So about the question of, is it enough? As Kadeem Kadeem said, I think it's a great start. I think what would be amazing is for there to be some kind of equity, some kind of real something, some kind of scholarship, some kind of mentorship, some kind of opening of doors in real ways, right? I think it's it's great to step down now after you've taken all the jobs for 10 years, but what happens to the people that didn't get these, these opportunities? When you you were talking about a color consciousness, I think it's bigger than color consciousness. These are equity issues. These are fixes that need to happen because of a racist system. So I think we have to really broaden our conversations and really put some, some dollars behind the words and the slogans. I think that it's just so important for our voices to be elevated and amplified, right? And that to me is the role of a, of a, a co-conspirator, right? Or as an aspiring ally is to make sure that our talents are amplified, right? In real ways. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Zoe, for that. We're actually talking about concrete ways, right? Everyone has really given some great offerings here that can help us to get to the front of the line. And Heather, I'd love for you to jump in as well on the creative agency side. I know you talked about that in terms of how can you be more responsible and what are some of the things that you do now Mm -hmm. and what are things that you can do? 
Yeah. I think that equity piece that Zoe just talked about, God, that is fire. That is everything. Mm -hmm. I had someone say to me, what difference does it make? Why should I have to make sure that I have X number of Black people and X number of white people and this many women? Like, really, is it going to, what difference is that really going to make? So we all know as creatives, that has an absolute impact on the outcome of the project, right? But what it does along the way is the important thing. It's the literal economy that we build when we hire underrepresented people. Then they become self-sufficient and then they can take care of themselves and they can build and they can hire and they can give in their communities and they can start their own businesses and they can buy Black. So we all agree that that is true. So we almost agree that the opposite is true. When we don't hire and when we don't make them a part of the economy, we are locking them out of the economy. And then they don't have and they can't buy and they can't take care of themselves and they can't take care of their families and have their homes and have their businesses and they don't participate. And that's what racism has done. That is what institutional and systemic racism is. It is locking people out of the economy, whether that is the actual economy, the creative economy, the medical economy, the entertainment economy, the sports economy, whatever it is. Racism locks people out. That's what it's designed to do, right? So what people have to say is, I'm not going to take part in that anymore. I'm not going to participate in that. It's not about having, just about having diverse voices on a project or diverse faces on a project. We're not all running around here trying to create patchwork quilts. That's not the point. The point is the participation in this economy. And if you are not actively helping to build that for other people, then you are actively not helping and you are actively destroying that economy. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? I'm going to help build it. Even if it means I have hired one person of color or one person from an underrepresented group, because that guess what that person, by and large, most often, guess what that person is going to do? They're going to turn around and do the same thing. Again, to Zoe's point, we do that all the time. It's what we do. We are always reaching back. Each one, teach one. You help them. Give somebody a chance. We're always doing that. It's inherent. It's what we do. Because we're not going to sit up there like Kadeen said. Nobody's going to sit up there and say, well, I made it. That's cool. I'm good. That's That's just not who we are as people. So that's the thing that you can do. One small thing. And I do know that that's hard. We all have worked with plenty of white people, plenty of white men in positions of power where it truly is something that they don't know how to do. They don't know where to start and often don't want to. But if I can make one difference, I can make one hire, I can bring in one person and I've tried to do it. I've not always been successful. And I'm going to sit here and say, I've always done the right thing, but I have always tried. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's really damn near impossible, depending on where you are. Sometimes it's easier than others. And then ultimately, when you have your own and you're running your own, then you make those decisions all the time. And I do have a rainbow patchwork quilt of people working for me. And that is the beauty of it all. But the point is doing so, so people can actively participate in that economy. Yes. Tanya. I love all the points we're making, especially the economy one. Like I haven't even thought about that. I don't think about it in the realm of like production in TV and the entertainment business. But I think the other thing we block is excellence. And I think that's super important to remember that when you bring in diversity, you're bringing in excellence. I would hope as producers, as showrunners, as directors, at the end of the day, you want to set where people are really, really good at Mm -hmm. their jobs. Mm -hmm. So, and what you get with diversity, what you get with the the Black woman that shows up on set, most likely you're going to get 
Black excellence too. I mean, we have this hashtag Black Girl Magic. That is a hashtag for a reason. So I think that's important to remember. Also, when you said like, what are some concrete things we can do? I think we have to find each other like we are in this conversation so we can share, so we can send jobs to. In fact, I have a um, VP job that I'll send to you guys that someone just um, blasted on LinkedIn. But to find each other and share. And then the other thing is to have our own too. Look at a Tyler Perry who has this amazing industry down in Atlanta and is like so successful. And he did it on a plantation where our ancestors died, where our ancestors worked the land. Like that is huge. Mm -hmm. So if we need to build our own, which I think so many of us are doing beautifully, we should do that too and not wait for opportunities, create our own opportunities. Well, that was going to be my next question is how can we secure distribution, you know, as a producer for new content for black and brown people. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? Yeah. At the end of the day, I think again, like finding each other and that doesn't mean finding each other doesn't mean we all like all the black people get together. We only do it together. You want different perspectives. You want mindsets. Most importantly, you want the mind, the people that are going to show up who are ready to break through barriers who are ready to take risks, who are bringing information. Like you've got your data and your research person who can show up and tell you, this is why you want to produce this content because it's going to make this amount of money. And this is what we're seeing. So give me data, give me research, give me people who have done this work before and who are ready to magnify it. So, you know, I'll kind of go with this sort of pillar of finding each other and finding the people with influence who have, I mean, I always say this industry is so much like, it's about who you know and how much they like you. It's about building those relationships so that you're not showing up for an Angela Bassett piece. You are going to step aside from that. And you may tell somebody that you did that. And because you did that, I'm going to hear, well, wow, this person has integrity and they are smart. So I might consider them from something else. I might want them on my team so they can help cast the next voiceover artist that comes through the door. I think finding each other, finding different perspectives and different talents in that realm so that when it comes to the the distribution. I'm, listen, there are plenty of us making money out there and it really is about connections and and having a vision. I will say that first and foremost, you have to have a vision. You have to plan. You have to structure. I, the willy-nilly sort of like running by the seat of your pants. No, I can see chaos when I get offered opportunities. I can see it a mile away. You know when someone's coming to the table who's serious and who is ready to collaborate and get the job done. That's the team that I want to be a part of. It has to be a, a, a collaboration, but like a very clear vision from that leader or those co-founders so that everybody is on board, so that everyone understands the essence, the essence of this project, the essence of the film. And Get people on board. So you've got the money people, you've got the creative people, you've got your data research people and bring it to the table. Right. Thank you for that. Can I just add one thing to Sherry? The talent piece, we've talked about this before. That talent conversation is quicksand. And don't let anybody trip you up on that talent piece. There is a, a school of thought out there that if I'm hiring, making diverse hires, that I am... Uh, sacrificing talent. And 
that's not what this conversation is about. And I thought until this year, I thought, well, that's not something people say anymore. Do people really say that? Who would say that? And then we had, who was it? The One of the CEO, the CEO or somebody, an executive leader at um, Wells Fargo who came right out and said, oh yeah, we're not, it's a, it's a talent thing. We just can't find talented people of color. So people still believe that and people still say that. So if you're being an ally or a co-conspirator, as Zoe would say, and you really want, you really want to help, make sure that you're not falling into that trap and into that quicksand of making this about whether or not someone is talented. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that, um, Heather. I want to bring you in and really what speak to what you just said, Heather, to Kadeen as a voiceover artist as well. Do you find that has happened to you as you're going out for roles or looking for parts or what has been your experience? The voiceover world is a fun one. I've definitely been othered in that I'm a Latina, but by look, I'm a Black woman, I'm an Afro-Latina. So when you look at me, if you make assumptions, you wouldn't think that I am fluent in Spanish. So I've shown up to auditions and everybody's looking at me like, what is she doing here? Mm. And then even I go into the booth and even the, the audition, the casting director is just kind of like, who sent you? And I'm like, oh, da da da. And then you know, I'll start reading the part and like you literally see the shift in their eyes and it's just it's assumptions and we all carry them. There's also showing up for auditions for certain brand roles, right? That I can never land because I'm not urban enough. And so all I can be is me. I don't know necessarily what the casting specs of, you know, that I've been sent out on in the sense of like, I feel like I'm kind of like that quirky girl next door. And that's what I've always kind of played off of. But when they wanted to get urban or whatever, you know, I literally had a casting director tell me it was a white woman. And she told me to put more swivel in my neck and to be more sassy. I want to burn the word sassy. Other than the magazine, which I loved growing up, I loved that magazine. It changed my life. But if I hear another woman of color described as sassy, I may have to burn something. It's just such a condescending word to me. It's like every Black woman's got a little bit of attitude and sass in her pants. And it's just, does she? Yeah. Maybe, but... Every single one, I don't know. I've got some relatives I'd question that about, you know? (laughs) We're all different. So, like, allow us to be that. And to me, you know, uh, it's fun because I can play both sides of the field, right? I am a voiceover artist, but I also am a producer and a writer. And so there are characters that come to mind. And what's exciting to me, any of the other creators here, is when somebody brings something new. When somebody shows up to an audition and they're unexpected, And they take the character to this other place. That to me is awesome. I love to see that. Let's see where that goes because we're all evolving, right? So a Black girl in 2020 is very different from a Black girl from 1996. Yeah. And that sound, that experience, that it resonates in different ways. And I would love, I want to meet her. I want to see what she has to say, you know, And and I just would hope that people would open themselves up more, a little bit wider, right? Like open it up a little bit wider and let those girls in because they've got a lot to say. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Kadeen. Hey guys. So that's where part one ends. It's a lot. So please take some time to digest it, possibly go back and listen to parts of it again. I'd like you to ask yourself a couple questions and it's this, what prism 
have you been looking through? And who is in your network? How wide and diverse is your network, your community? All right, think on those questions. And until next time, here's to owning our voices.